Hash House and Circle Up. Welcome to On On, the Hash House Harrier podcast for interviews, history, and stories. I'm your host, Ra. I'm back speaking with the hashing legend from Aberdeen, Olympic. We'll just pick up where we left off. We were talking about Interhash moving to Cyprus, and just one snapshot thing was the. Do you remember the. They did something different there. Urine. He had a handle on some Michelin man suits in a mud pit. Does that ring a bell? Well, question one. Were you there? Oh, yeah. I was MC. I was, I was there a week early helping put up the. With Magic came from Bangkok, and a bunch of people came up from Cairo to help the Cypress guys put the banner around the entire park. We're post-holing and putting a wrapper on it to keep the public from peering in. Well, you know, I said that Rosarua was the best interhash. It was, it was the best of the era. I'm holding up five fingers. Um, Goa, Cardiff, Chiang Mai. That mm. was the best decade. Yeah. That was the first Kiwi World interhash. And the only one, I guess. And uh, yeah, they're perfectly made for hashing. Yeah. They say they want to do it again in Queenstown, but in my opinion, Queenstown is popular, expensive resort. The hash can do better than that. I mean, there's interest, like you say, Southeast Asia is easier logistically and weather-wise. It's great to do it. India's always interested. There is a guy from Turkey who is saying he wants to bid. I'm not sure that that's actually ever going to be able to be doable. If I'm honest, I've kind of slipped beyond the radar of I don't give a fuck anymore to be honest <laughs> um, Trinidad I, you know something I don't care beyond Trinidad I don't care I don't think I ever want to go for a big hash gig I'd go to New Zealand as you know but yeah. big hash gig nah nah nah, nah. alright back to the mud pit in Cyprus does that ring a bell what do you think about Cyprus what do you mean the mud pit? Out in the middle of the venue, away from the stadium part, away from the food, there was just a, a wrestling ring. Was that something? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, on behalf of my reputation and I, um, at one stage, I was in there with Adonis. Yeah. Well, I think at one stage, you were the first two guys to go in. Why is that not a surprise? <laughs> You or Adonis, I think, grabbed the hose and just started filling it with water, and then it was off to the races. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, but it was an interhash that left Asia. After after Rotorua, it shifted. And there were people concerned that, oh, my God, now it's going to stay in Europe, which, of course, never happened. But it was a small town. Limassol's kind of a small town field compared to the super cities of Asia where interhash was. I'm listening. I'm not sure where you're taking me. Well, I'm just asking about your impressions of these big events. And you were on London 15 when there were how many? A, a, a dozen to two dozen people. And then we've got UK Nash Hash, which is 600 or so. And then World Interhash for these big events. So there's... There's people that have experience at all these different levels. Most people's experience is the 20-something weekly run. How much do you think is essential that the hash have big regional get-togethers? Back in the day, it was everything. In the current era, it's really not that important. Mm. What was the size of all the Australia clubs when you first went down there and biked around the whole country? 
There'd be a couple of dozen everywhere. Mm-hmm. They're all good eggs. They didn't know what was out there. I did. Mm. There was a lot of people in Queensland when I got there eventually after a few months who understood. But in the outback, we're talking just... It's uncanny that there are people in every town in the world who want to behave like hashers. <laughs> and the other 99% look at them like they're daft. What brought your Australian adventure to an end? Um, I went to New Zealand. Ah, did you pick up a motorbike there? Well, now, that's an interesting question. Having gone round Australia on a motorbike and a tent and hashing, I arrived in... Auckland in New Zealand to be met with my muckers, <laughs> the worm and mongo, who gave me a job digging graves for a week. No, I went round New Zealand hitching. Ah. So I hitched my way all the way around New Zealand. I was well looked after because it's one of these countries where hitching's the norm, and that's we're talking thirty years ago, yeah. Yeah. I met some lovely people hitched around New Zealand. Talk about Mongo, because I don't know if we're going to get him on here or not. He was well settled in his operation there in Auckland. And he was a regular hasher in Auckland. There is no pigeonhole. (laughs) Mongo was off his trolley in the same way that Olympric is off his trolley. But both of us have done very well in the... 35 years since, he owns half of Waikiki Island off Auckland. He's a resolute guy. And when I was there first, <laughs> and when I was working with him, he lent me his mum's tramping boots. Tramping is a very New Zealand expression, yeah? Yeah. So I went off, he sent me off, he said, go away. And I went, I'm going. So I went <laughs> hitching round the South Island of New Zealand in his mum's tramping boots. <laughs> Okay. And we're talking such a long time ago. The furthest I got south was Dunedin, Mm. which apparently is the Edinburgh of the south. Ah, yeah. Well, how were you finding the clubs there? Just the people telling you the next town you're going to find them? No, I didn't find hash anywhere in New Zealand apart from Auckland. Ah. This was a wee boy pitching around New Zealand. If you're asking a hash question, no. Nah. There was Auckland, there was Mongo, there was Worm. There's some absolute stalwarts of hashing in New Zealand, but my gig then wasn't about hashing. I mean, why did you come back to Scotland? Why or when or what made to say, okay, I'm, I'm heading back to Scotland now. Your getaway was over. Ah, <laughs> So, I can't believe you're asking me these questions, and I can't believe I'm going to tell you the truth. Right. So, I had this flight out of Auckland at about 7, 8 o'clock at night one day. So, Mongo drove me to the airport via about 12 pubs, right? (laughs) Yeah. Mongo's completely shit-faced. I'm completely shit-faced. And we got about 10 miles south of the airport, and he gets a fucking puncture, doesn't he? Oh, no. I think he pretended. (laughs) No, no, if you knew Mongo, he just wanted to shit me, right? Yeah. (laughs) And I'm going like, fuck it out. I've been round the world for a whole year on my arse, and Mongo's just dropped a puncture on me. 
10 miles south of the airport. And I'm not quite sure how it got resolved, right? But I'll tell you what happened, as best I remember it. I found myself in Auckland Airport about 6 or 7pm. Walked on, walked up to this desk, and the airport was empty. <laughs> I was the only person there. Okay. And, and I'll be quite honest, I could hardly stand. I was... <laughs> I walked up to this... Um, Checking desk and said, uh, "I'm on that plane," uh, <laughs> and and they said, "No, you're not." I oh. said, uh, and a supervisor came along and said, "Follow me." I was taken into this back room, and all the airline staff, all the galleys, as it was then, they're all rolling their tights down, they're all putting their feet up, going, "Yeah, well done. <laughs> yeah." Okay. And back in those days, it was a fairly provincial airport. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I've just put some crisps on there. Having just escaped a 12-hour drinking session with Mongo, and having convinced the staff that I had, a, I was on that plane. <laughs> okay. Where were you heading then? Actually, Hawaii. Oh, my God. Okay. Anyway, so next morning, I wakes up, right, on the floor of an aircraft wrapped around the ankles of the woman in the seat next to me <laughs> whose husband in the next seat was not impressed yeah, I imagine yeah and um, then I went through US customs Thanks. and I told them 80% of the truth and then they said well we'll give you a 14 day visa which is quite unusual normally you're a visa I would say okay so so then I went to Canada. Where are you? Are you in Canada? Well, I'm on the east side, though, not on the west coast. Yeah, so I got to Canada. I go down to get a flight home, and then the U.S. immigration said, how come you only got a 14-day visa? <laughs> At which point I have, seriously, Matthew, for the rest of my life, I've been a marked man. With the U.S. government? Yep. Because of that one conversation in Hawaii immigration? Yep. USA doesn't forget. I've never been back since. Wow. So Mongo was the last person you saw at the end of the adventure. Oh, fucking yes. You spent a little bit of time in North America and then back to... You went to Aberdeen and settled back in instead of London. Is that right? I couldn't be specific on that. Okay. It's not important. No, I'm just trying to put it into place. What was You reconnected with regular hashing at the end of that trip at some point. Well, actually, yes. I went back to Edinburgh and um, I hashed with Edinburgh on Sunday and TNT on Wednesday. And I was a totally hardcore Edinburgh hasher. And then I got a phone call that my dad had died. And that was the moment that everything changed. Where was he living? Aberdeen, running a business. Ah, okay. I went straight back. I found myself running the business. And my wings were substantially clipped. And was that five days a week, six days a week? Oh, seven twenty-four. Ah, okay. It wasn't a job, it was a life. Yeah. And that is before the end of the 80s? When did your dad die? 14th of May, 88. Okay. All of this is very personal. You won't publish this, would you? I'd encourage you to let it be published. I mean, it is, there's nothing untoward about it. Personal is good. I mean, there's a side of hashers that, you know, people don't always have time to get to know, but they can relate to. I encourage you to say, go ahead, on the record on all this. I mean, on the record, I'm pretty sure that 
75% of hashers that know me would be at least 75% interested to hear 100% of what I've just said. Absolutely. Yeah, that's why I kind of, I hope you don't feel like any of it's inappropriate to the audience. There's nothing I've said that is wrong. It's very cool and interesting and personal. And you don't have time to do this chat with the many people that are going to hear this, whether they know you or not. I mean, Facebook's Facebook, and I've learned to get bored with it a tad. There has to be a lot of people out there. Well, you fucking know this. There has to be a lot of people out there who have shared my 35-year existence through hashing. Yeah, without any kind of inflation, you're a pretty memorable guy. You're pretty fun. You're very fun. Let me just bring up some of these other people just for either reaction or your thing. You know, some of the people that have come later in West London that you know well. There's a lot of people who name a quintessential hasher. You're you're one of their first people on the tips of their fingers. Ride and Table Wine, certainly you know well. Yes. Robocop. Some of these are, are big people who also have had an influence on the hash where they go and they yes. travel widely. Yes. I think it was that that West London gang was obviously pretty formative for you, or I don't know if it was formative, but it was you just gelled with and amplified. Wonderful couple of words. Yes, I gelled. Yes, I amplified. And West London seriously put its mark on hash. Because hashing was an English-speaking posh rich man's disease. An expat um, thing. When I started, there were all these people doing it in the shires, having come back from their postings, mm. military or financial. Yeah. Yeah. West London and the people you've just mentioned, and I'm very, very proud to have been one of them, we took hashing to a, a different level. How was the hash then, in terms of it being sort of underground, not as public and certainly not well known in the public mind. I feel how uncomfortable you feel trying to ask the question you haven't quite asked. Yeah. Um, the thing about hashing is that it's either for you or it's not, right? Yeah. And for those that it was for, we made merry. Mm. For every one of us who happened to find it and enjoyed it, there's probably a thousand out there with the mentality, and I go back to our first statement, I grew up with motorbikes, rugby, cross-country, running, you know, hashing was so obvious to me, it was a no-brainer. Oh, and by the way, apparently we go to the pub and drink. <laughs> <laughs> that is, uh, for a lot of people who first go expat life in the 80s and 90s, virtually everywhere there was a reason to go be an expat, there was a hash. Aberdeen is one of these places where a lot of people have gone expat. Many, many. Aberdeen was probably the most obvious. Over and above London, and even over and above Edinburgh, which was nice in Aberdeen was expats coming home. Aberdeen hash was mental because there were all these people who totally got it. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, frankly, if you went to a hash in the 80s or 90s, there was somebody from Scotland living in that city in hash. <laughs> you chuckled. Um, I'm not going to dispute what you said. Um, 
because e it's correct but the Aberdeen hash went exponential because it was the whole population had been abroad <laughs> been, been, yeah. no seriously been abroad in the offshore industry came home and they're like <laughs> why is there not a hash here and we all went there is a hash here and I'm probably one of Aberdeen's most prolifically been gone and done it people yeah Aberdeen hash in my opinion best hash in the UK huh. I, r I ran on one outstation Aberdeen run which was after Cyprus Monday or Tuesday night I think the Aberdeen hashers in Cyprus set a, tr set a Aberdeen run so what day does Aberdeen run on I was responsible for setting the Aberdeen hash in Cyprus from the sun to surf to the venue along the coastline. Yeah, you had shirts made. Everybody on the run could get an Aberdeen hash shirt. Do you remember those T-shirts? I have it. Yeah. Sure. The bottle. The bottle. Oh well, I have to dig it out. I I don't know if I'll be able to do it on this call. We'll do another one. We we'll pull out the shirt. But with the beer bottle, is it the beer label? Beer bottle labels? There are very, very... Yes, I got that. Because myself and Ron Strachan, the penguin, mm -hmm. we went there three months earlier and we wrecked the whole island. Yeah, as you do. Yeah. And um, the guy who owns the local pub here is called Simon Crookshank and his brother is called John Crookshank. And John Crookshank, who is a very good mate of... You've probably met Urine, haven't you? <laughs> I know, uh, yeah, I know you're in well. And Ben Shaft, Crookshank. Oh, you know Ben Shaft? Oh, very well. I, I knew the guys from Cyprus. When I was in Cairo from the 80s, we went over to Cyprus all the time and worked with Urine when he's like, I need a crowd of people to do a dry run of this kind of inner hash stuff before we bid. We need to do some dry runs with stuff. So we'd take a plane load over there and run through. So yeah, Ben Shaft was trail master for inner hash Cypress and I know he and his wife very well, yeah. No. I didn't know the connection to Aberdeen for Ben Shaft. I'm gonna go A for a piddle, B because my bottle's empty. But you know something? To bring up the word Ben Shaft <laughs> <laughs> Now his brother still runs half of the Stonehaven pubs oh, and I have a lot of time for Benchaft and Raffaella is her missus yeah the belly dancer yes <laughs> well Benchaft's a tramper he did he would go out for weekend walks in the Cypress Hills for all day walks tramping and yes I don't know if the geography if there's any geography in Cyprus is it all like Scotland but he, he found enough to do there that's brilliant. We've connected on that word, Benchaft. Um, he, let's be honest, Urine was a front man, right? Yeah. Benchaft organized that interhash. I mean, he knew the whole island from maybe from his tramping and everything. He was the engineer. John Jackson, I wouldn't ever miscall him. <laughs> he was the mouthpiece, yeah? yeah? Anyways, that's fantastic. I met his brother earlier. John Benchaft and his brother Simon used to own two best pubs in this village. Mm. And John decided to fuck off with Raphael. I, as a hasher, stayed with them in Cyprus for a spell. Ah, nice. They've now gone to New Zealand. Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> my phone is just...
reminding me. You know something? I'm never one to kill a great conversation, but can I go? Yeah. Do you want to resume another day or later? Let's never, ever not reconnect. Yeah, well, I'm just going to keep recording all these. This is going to be a big project. I have to be honest, because I watched the, our first little chatty poo was quite amusing, actually. <laughs> yeah, I may publish that just as to say it's going to take a while for us to have, you know talk through. There was nothing in the... I, I thought it was quite amusing. <laughs> yeah, that's no, good. We were both caught with our pants down. There is no interview with less of a roadmap and less of an agenda than these talks with Olympric. So I want to just thank him for spending more time with me. And there'll be more episodes. This is the On On Podcast. Hasher voices, Hasher stories, Hasher history. New episodes every week. Until next time, On On, this is Ra. To close the circle, here's the Hash Anthem sung by Mother Hash. Swing low, sweet child, coming forth to carry me home. Swing low.